operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So this morning we continue looking at the new uh, reworked mission statement for Riverside. And just a little bit of background in case you did not see or uh, read the email that kind of laid out the process that we went through to get here. The prior statement, mission statement for Riverside was 24 words long. The current new uh, mission statement is two words long with some explanations. So the statement itself is quite simply life together. And then we have some expansions on that. Life together with Jesus, with each other, and with our neighbors, which we'll be going through in the next couple weeks. So today we're going to be talking about life together with Jesus. What does it mean to be uh, in life together with Jesus? This text that we read this, read this morning, I think I'm captivated by this translation of it, which is Eugene Peterson's translation in the message, because it seems so life-giving. And it seems so inviting, this idea of being invited into a, a life that is lived freely um, and lightly. And sometimes I think, at least speaking for myself, uh, that is not the way Christianity has felt to me. Uh, sometimes we get a little distracted and a little um, off course through a couple of different ways which we're going to talk about this morning. Um, one of the quotes that I saw from one of my favorite theologians talking about this idea of what does it mean to do life together with Jesus. He writes, there is no substitute for learning to be a Christian by being in the presence of significant lives made significant by being Christian." In other words, it's similar to what Jesus invites us to here, to walk with him and to work with him uh, and to be invited into that way of life. I think part of what's so captivating about this idea of life together with Jesus is just that. And I think it's very easy for us, as Nicole mentioned, the, the separation of time between the time when Jesus walked and ministered with his disciples until now, some 2,000 plus 
years. Um, it's easy for us to get uh, a little bit off track and we turn discipleship into an exercise of the mind and we lose sight of the fact that when we read the Gospels, the way Jesus discipled his followers was a life together. They did life together. They were together together. They uh, had communal meals. They spent time together. It wasn't a classroom setting. It was a life setting. In another place in the Gospels, in John, Jesus talks about how he came to give life and that life abundantly. And I think if we are uh, at our best, we recognize that what Jesus gives us if we truly are living life with Jesus, is a life worth imitating. It's an abundant life. It's a life that is free and easy, as Jesus describes in this text. But the immediate question becomes, well, how? How do we do that? And that's what we want to think about this morning. What does it mean to do life together in a way that... Um, is free and easy and inviting. So one of the things I think it's important to recognize as we look at this text is, you'll notice in the text, um, as Eugene Peterson has it in the message, the beginning of this, it says in verse 27, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. In other words, if Jesus is now speaking tenderly, that means immediately preceding this, his words were not so tender. And that is exactly right. If you, if you read a little bit earlier in chapter 11, you're, you find yourselves in the middle of uh, Jesus, uh, the seven woes. And essentially what happens here is Jesus is um, lighting up uh, the Pharisees and the religious people of his time about all of their shortcomings. And one of the things that we see over and over again in the Gospels is the people that Jesus is at least seemingly hardest on are those who are the religious people. They're the, the ones, the Pharisees, and those who are really in some sense seeking to do their best to live in a way that's pleasing to God, which isn't to say that they didn't get off track, Clearly they did, or Jesus would not have such harsh words for them. But immediately preceding these woes, in verse chapter 11, beginning in verse 16, it says this, How can I account for this generation? The people have been like spoiled children whining to their parents. We wanted to skip rope, and you were always too tired. We wanted to talk, but you were always too busy. John came fasting, and they called him crazy. I came feasting, and they called me a lush, a friend of the riffraff. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's pointing out that these religious people, uh, they're never happy. When John came, he was a freak because he was fasting and he was demanding repentance and, and living a very strict life. Too strict even for the Pharisees, it seems. But then when Jesus comes and he is feasting and eating with people and inviting the broken and um, sinful into his presence, then he is a lush. So there's this judgment going on. 
It's either too hard or it's too easy. Does this sound familiar to you? I certainly recognize it in my own life. I think the Pharisees and maybe us, because as I've said before and I continue to believe, if, if we read the Gospels and we look at the characters in, in the Gospels and who we most represent, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we most represent the Pharisees. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean that in that we often beat up on the Pharisees, right? They were misguided and they were harsh and they, were, they did all these things wrong. But really, at least in some sense, the Pharisees were people who were deeply concerned about living life in a way that was pleasing to God. They wanted to do the right things. They wanted to follow the scriptures. They wanted to do all this stuff. Now, yes, they, did they take it too far and did they become self-righteous and all that? Sure, they did. But when I look at the Gospels, I recognize ourselves in that description of the Pharisees. They were people who were deeply concerned about living life in the right way. So the Pharisees and us can become more interested in criticizing and giving orders for others than we are in living that Jesus way of life, of being invited into that life that Jesus uh, describes in this text. So what do we do about that? Well, I think the first step may be in admitting our inability to do it ourselves or our way. Does this sound familiar? Any of you who are even remotely familiar with uh, any kind of 12-step program, you recognize that, right? The first step is admitting you have a problem. And so the first step for us as we seek to follow Jesus is to admit that we can't do it on our own. We, the way that we do it doesn't work. And sometimes for those of us, especially church people, this may be painful because it means letting go sometimes of ideas of what we thought we knew and the ways that we thought were the correct ways to follow Jesus. And we have to admit that those actually are more our ideas than they were Jesus. The Pharisees thought they knew. And if you read this section of chapter 11, you find out very quickly that Jesus um, found their ways wanting. They weren't doing what they thought they were doing. In fact, uh, Jesus describes them as heaping burdens on others. So when we think about this text and we hear the invitation of Jesus, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So what we see in this passage is Jesus' message can be heard two ways. There's the others, the outsiders, who didn't know the ways of Jesus and were taught. And then there are the insiders who are uh, who seem to think they know the way to go. Both are off, um, off track. So we have the weary and the burdened. And the offer 
of Jesus to come and learn this new way of life is there for both of them. Now the weary, I would describe as these are those who place the burdens on themselves or attempt to carry them on their own. And so these are people who um, are trying to fix it. And they're, they're doing, they're reading every self-help book they can find. They are making New Year's resolutions. They're doing all these things and they're striving and striving and striving. And the only thing that that striving is producing is weariness. They're exhausted from trying to uh, figure it out and do it on their own. And Jesus says to them, come to me, you who are weary. But not just you who are weary, but also you who are heavy burdened. So what are the, who are the burdened? Those people who are carrying burdens. These, these burdens seem to me to be more passive. They're loaded onto us. These are perhaps the burdens of the Pharisees and us. They are expectations and judgments and responsibilities. Ways of life that are ours and not God's. So what might this look like? Well, these are the ways that we have decided are the ways that we live after Jesus, but aren't necessarily actually related to what Jesus is inviting us into. Expectations, behaviors, all of these very things. And the window into this and the reality of it is pointed out by Jesus in the, earlier in the chapter in those verses that I just shared where Jesus talks about how the Pharisees are never satisfied. John was too strict. He was too you know, crazy religious and fasting and wearing camel's hair and all of those things. But then Jesus comes and he's too loose. Which shows that the, the burdens that we put on ourselves sometimes have more to do with our expectations and judgments than they do with those of God. So Jesus comes and he invites both the weary and those who are carrying heavy burdens into his way of life. So perhaps the first step is to drop our burdens and to rest our weary bones in the grace and mercy of Jesus. Friends, one of the things, the most beautiful things about life together with Jesus is that he invites us to come just as we are. He invites us to come from wherever we are. Are. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up first. He doesn't ask us to get our houses in order first. He doesn't ask us to, to fix all of the things that are wrong with us first. He simply comes into our presence and says, come to me. There is grace for you. I love you just as you are, not as you should be. And once we drop those burdens... And we allow and we accept that invitation to be accepted by Jesus. Then the second step, I think, is to, is to begin to, as Peterson translates it, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that way of expressing it. The unforced rhythms of grace. So what are the unforced rhythms of Jesus? Well, I think... There are a couple of things. The first is that Jesus' rhythms are counterintuitive. 
They're, they're actually counter several things. First of all, they're counterintuitive. Um, in other words, if we look at the way Jesus approaches the world, it is, it is counter to the way we understand the world works. How do we know that? Well, we read the Beatitudes or we hear the Sermon on the Mount and we hear Jesus say things like, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer them the other cheek. Right? So it's these counterintuitive ways of living that according to the rules of our world don't work in the real world. And Jesus says, oh no, they don't work in the real world because you don't live in the real world. The real world is my kingdom. So they're counterintuitive. They're countercultural. Forgive your enemy. Rest. Give grace. All of these assumptions that, that rub us the wrong way if we allow the world to determine how it is that we understand it, Right? Well, people shouldn't get a free uh, ride. Jesus gives us a free ride. Jesus gives us grace when instead of giving us what we deserve. Jesus gives us rest instead of expecting us to um, earn that rest. Jesus gives us forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. So Jesus' rhythms begin in that counter uh, cultural, counterintuitive way of living life. So how do we learn these rhythms? I would say that one of the ways we learn to do life together with Jesus are what we call spiritual practices. And I'm going to give you just a couple examples of ways that, of practices that we can do to help learn these unforced rhythms of grace. These are in no particular order, and this is not an exhaustive list, but these are good places to start. Prayer, Bible reading, worship, service, Sabbath, generosity. Sabbath. This is perhaps the most countercultural for us as Americans. The idea of Sabbath is not so much the idea of us um, just resting as it is in ceasing to produce. We are, in, in our uh, culture, there is perhaps one of our foundational values is what we can produce, what we earn, what we put out there. And the idea of Sabbath is, if we look at the Old Testament command for Sabbath, it's to, it's to cease to produce, it's to to step back and rest in the fact that God is enough and God will provide. Sabbath is more than the absence of work. It's not just a day off when we catch up on TV and errands. It is the presence of something that arises when we consecrate a period of time to listen to what is most deeply beautiful, nourishing, or true. It is a time consecrated with our attention, our mindfulness, honoring those quiet forces of grace or spirit that sustain and heal us. It is quite simply a time to rest in the love and provision of God. And in so doing, we learn to trust God. And then it, it um, moves us into the next spiritual practice, which is gratitude. 
We can, in the, if we take that time to rest and stop, then we recognize that everything that we have, including the breath in our lungs, is gift from a loving Father. Then we begin to be filled with gratitude. First Chronicles says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. To practice gratitude is to recognize that everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from God. And then part of being grateful is learning to be content with what we have. Learning to be content with what we have. One of the things that is so powerful about the practice of gratitude is once you begin to practice that and that gratitude becomes ingrained in how it is that you approach life, then all of a sudden you recognize this contentment that starts to, starts to kind of bubble up, right? We're, we're no longer striving because we recognize that God loves us and welcomes us and provides for us. And then we can enter into some of these other practices that we listed. Worship. When our hearts are filled with gratitude, the automatic response is worship. It's thankfulness. Praising God for what he does for us. And then sharing what God provides with others through generosity. Friends, these are all parts of these unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus invites us into. Life together with Jesus is a life lived in relationship with him and through him with God and others. It is our hope that as we... uh, explore these topics that you will experience and hear once again that invitation, the simple invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come learn from me, for I am simple and humble of heart. Jesus invites us into this life where we are accepted and loved just as we are, not as we should be, because of what he does for us. And so it's our hope that as we as a community begin to live into these uh, realities, this life together with Jesus, that we will practice those things that teach us and that we will walk with Jesus and we'll learn those um, unforced rhythms of grace. So friends, hear the invitation of Jesus this morning. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes you've made or the accomplishments and great achievements that you have on your resume, no matter whether you are heavy burdened because of what other people put on you or whether you are weary because of the expectations you have for yourself, hear today the invitation of Jesus. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. I desire a relationship with you. I want to teach you the way of life that I desire for you. Abundant life. Life of an unforced rhythm of grace. 
All you have to do is decide to accept the gift of Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you invite us into your way of life. God, we ask that you would help us to let go of the burdens that others have placed on us, to let go of the expectations we put on ourselves. God, help us to see you as you see us, as your beloved children. God, help us to lay down those burdens and expectations and our weariness and to take up your way of life that we would begin to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, that it would fill us with generosity and gratitude, and that we would share that life with others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.